episode 22 of the Because I'm Carlos podcast. A little bit of a different one, a little bit of a different format, in the sense that it's still going to be an audio podcast predominantly. Uh, I'm actually going to have a couple of things on the screen just for visual aids, but and also kind of to give me a little bit of a refresher as I'm going through this. But realistically, you don't have to see anything in order to get the value out of what I kind of want to talk about. This one's going to be more of a story time thing. Originally, I was going to make a video where I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit. I had made reference to previously on the YouTube channel, uh, because I'm Carlos YouTube channel, I had previously mentioned in a pick a video that I was going to talk a little bit more about some of the autograph uh, poker cards, specifically 2006 Razor poker cards that I had picked up and kind of some of the backstory behind what kind of appealed to me about that. And uh, I figured I would give a little bit of story as well as to kind of what led me back down the kind of back down that path. Even though I hadn't collected poker cards previously, I did have a little bit of a backstory that kind of uh, made it interesting for me. And I thought I would discuss that a little bit. As I thought about it a little bit more, I kind of realized that, well, realistically, it's it's more of a story time kind of thing. It really is fine to do it as a more of an audio version than anything else. And for the YouTube version, uh, for the benefit of those that want to check it out, I will have some stuff on the screen going on, a little bit of a screen share thing going on. But uh, obviously, if you're listening to the audio version, you're not really going to lose anything because I'll describe anything I need to describe to you as far as that's concerned. So specifically, uh, what I'm looking at right now is a list of the World Series of Poker main event winners. And I'll kind of get into that here in a second. Uh, specifically, what kind of led me down the, the rabbit hole of taking a look at those 2006 Razor Poker cards originally was actually this year's World Series of Poker. And I've always been interested in the World Series of Poker for quite a long time, and specifically going back to 2003, which was the beginning of the poker boom. So I'm not going to give you the full history on this, but I will give you a little bit of a, of a primer, a little bit of a precursor to this. Uh, one of the cards that I had picked up in that pickup video was actually a autograph card, not a 2006 Razor, but it was actually a 2010 Razor card of Chris Moneymaker. And uh, in the video version, I'm scrolling forward to that piece of the puzzle, and I'll kind of give a little backstory and explain a little bit more about it. So that one, the Chris Moneymaker one, is a very specific one that I picked up for a good reason, which I'll get into more here in a minute. Again, this is more of a story time version, so if you're interested predominantly in the cards, I will talk about them a little bit. But otherwise, uh, you know, check out any of the other channels on the YouTube channel or any of the other episodes where I spend a little bit more time talking about the cards. This was a little bit more of a story where there's a little bit of a card connection. And that's kind of the approach that I'm going to take to this episode specifically. Now, what got me kind of back down this rabbit hole specifically was in this year's World Series of Poker coverage, uh, I noticed that a couple of uh, familiar names were back kind of in the run, back uh, in the hunt as far as getting to final tables. One of the, the first one that I really noticed was that Phil Ivey, uh, who had been a, a mainstay of the World Series of Poker and a lot of poker events back in the day, uh, was actually in a final table and uh, with an opportunity to win his 11th bracelet. And for the uninitiated, every time somebody wins a World Series of Poker event, which includes not just the main event, but it includes any of the other events in the circuit of the World Series of Poker, at this point numbering quite a number of them, but anybody who wins any of those tournaments during the World Series of Poker series of tournaments... Uh, regardless of which type it is, regardless of which dollar amount, regardless of, you know, which kind of game it's played, you would win what is known as a World Series of Poker bracelet. And they're coveted in the sense that it is obviously not easy to win them, uh, even though there are a number of chances, especially now. Generally speaking, repeat winners are difficult. Uh, there are opportunities, of course, uh, for the professionals and the better players to have more chances than most, especially with smaller field tournaments. The main event being kind of the exception because it's the one that has basically the most people in it for the most part, uh, most years. And it becomes a bit of a minefield. Even the best players struggle to get consistently deep in the main event, which is its own thing. But uh, regardless, Phil Ivey getting deep into one of the other tournaments, having an opportunity for the 11th bracelet. The reason the number 11 means something is because he was in a three-way tie currently with two other players with 10 bracelets. So it's Phil Ivey, it is Doyle Brunson, who will come into play here in a second, 
and it is also uh, Johnny Chan. Johnny Chan was actually the last two-time winner, so in the video version, I'll do move over here to show you. 1987 and 1988, and then in 1989, the winner who defeated Johnny Chan from preventing him from doing a three-peat was actually Phil Hellmuth. Now, Phil Hellmuth, bringing that into the next piece of this uh, kind of discussion, was another guy who went deep a couple of times here in the uh, in the World Series of Poker this year, who's had opportunities. For, so for me, it was kind of fun seeing some familiar names back in the hunt, back in the running with the opportunity, potentially, to be able to win another World Series of Poker bracelet. And well, like I said, well, Phil Ivey had a couple of opportunities to get win number 11. Phil Helmuth, had he been able to win, would have been able to win number 17. So currently he's got 16 World Series of Poker bracelets, which is the most. Uh, the other three guys are tied in a three-way tie at 10. So it would have been to move into second all-time if Phil Ivey had been able to pull it off. And then Phil Helmuth would have been number 17 to kind of extend his lead on the rest of the field, which is, uh, you know, very notable, even though Phil Helmuth, in addition to that, also is kind of infamous in poker circles. Now, before I kind of get back into discussing the uh, kind of my background in it, that is kind of the backdrop of a lot of the following that I was doing with poker. And the following really started with the 2003 World Series of Poker main event, going back to the Chris Moneymaker thing, and part of the reason that I picked up that Moneymaker autograph card. It was a kind of a nostalgic throwback to that, because, and the reason this particular tournament was so significant, this 2003, was that, as you can see uh, in the video version, but I'll describe it to you, so in that particular year, the winner got $2.5 million, and the field was 839 players. Now, the thing is, this was the very first tournament, even though the World Series of Poker main event had been televised previously, this was the tournament that kind of launched, you know, a thousand dreams, so to speak, uh, as far as the whole thing, as far as poker itself, kind of created a poker boom as far as tele televised poker, as far as, you know, internet poker, as far as a variety of different things. And the story behind it is because even though the World Series of Poker had been going on since 1970, uh, quite a long time, and had been kind of the realm of a variety of different great poker pros and historical figures in the game, the real, you know, impetus for that next level taking place was the Chris Moneymaker victory. And the reason for that was really that Chris Moneymaker came out of nowhere as a satellite qualifier. He did something that hadn't really been done to that, you know, not that high profile. He actually won an internet satellite tournament that allowed him to win an entry into this tournament, therefore making him somebody who fell outside of kind of the norm of a professional because the tournament itself has a $10,000 buy-in. So you pay $10,000, you get an entry. It's only one entry. You can't rebuy. You have to, you can you go in once. And as soon as you lose all your chips, you're done or you win the tournament one way or the other. You know, if you never lose your chips, you probably won. So the point is that you basically keep playing until you're however many players you start off with and you keep playing until there's one player left and that's the last person standing. That's the person that wins the bracelet. That's the person that is the main event tournament champion. So Chris Moneymaker coming out of nowhere as a satellite qualifier on the internet of all things, crazy, 2003, is the one who basically created this blueprint so that somebody who's outside of that professional ranks, you know, Joe Schmo, or in this case, Chris Moneymaker, was able to win. And by doing that, created the, uh, the ability where, you know what, actually I can do that. And in this uh, video version, you'll see actually, the Chris Moneymaker thing, really did launch something because after that tournament, the very next year, Greg Raymer in 2004, the field ballooned from 839 players to 2,576 players and a $5 million prize. The next year, Joe Hashem, 5,619 players. And the absolute apex, the apex of this thing that coincides with those Razor cards that I was talking about was Jamie Gold in 2006, 8,773 players with a first place prize of $12 million. That is the apex, that is the highest those two numbers would ever be and have ever been ever since. 
back in 2006. So that 2003 to 2006 era was the absolute apex of this as far as the poker boom is concerned. You had the World Poker Tour as well. They got on television and became a big thing for a long for a while there. And you had, you know, things like the um, you know, high stakes poker that was on TV and things of that sort. And back in those days, uh, you know, 2003 on, it was on as far as uh, interest in a lot of the poker related things. I remember getting a chance to play a lot of poker games around that time and wa- and seeing a lot of it on television. I even still have somewhere around the house, uh, I think I have one of the World Poker Tour uh, season sets. And I remember watching that and having a lot of fun with that. It was just fun being able to have a game where you as a player, you know, you in the, at the couch could be like, well, I wouldn't make that play because you could see all the hole cards. So you knew whether somebody was bluffing, you knew somebody whether somebody actually had the good hand, and then you could obviously backseat criticize all the plays, which always which is always a lot of fun. That created a little bit of it. But I think the mental challenge of the game itself more than anything else appealed to me. And during that time, I did get a chance to play quite a bit of online poker, I do recall. And that was one of the things that kind of nostalgically brings me back to it, and I'll, I'll talk about another nostalgic piece as well that comes into play with that. Now, that 2003 to 2006 period also coincides with me personally, with uh, most of the years that I was actually in university. So the timing could not have been more perfect as far as having enough time on my hands to be able to play to the wee hours of the morning playing a lot of online poker tournaments and doing a lot of things. I didn't really do too much with that. I did get a chance to play a little bit. I won a little bit of money here and there, nothing too crazy. And I did get a chance uh, when I when I had my 30th birthday to go to Vegas and play a little bit of poker there. Uh, had a little bit of, made a little bit of money in that as well. But like I said, I'm, I'm not going to proclaim that I'm a great poker player. I, I Far from it. Uh, but I did enjoy it, and the, the you know the Texas No Limit Hold'em aspect of it, and the fact you can win with the worst hand, that was always appealing to me. It's like a little game of chess that you could play against your opponent, where really it was just a matter of being able to not necessarily have the best hand, it's just being able to convince your opponent that you do. And that that's enough. In the right circumstance, that's all you really need to do. And it created for a lot of great, e- great evenings of playing a lot of games, and a lot of great stories, and a lot of fun doing that. And part of that you know plays into a lot of other nostalgic elements. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the cards here for a second and part of the reason why that particular set appealed to me. And then also I'll, I'll give a little bit of a nostalgic story as well about uh, kind of that era, especially the 2004, 2005, 2006 era, uh, where I had a lot of time to be able to play a lot of games, and even a little bit after because it was still good for a while. The poker boom kind of ended, so to speak, uh, when you know online gambling in terms of poker became problematic. It has made a little bit of a recovery. And actually, now that I mentioned it, I do want to make a note here. Like I said, what kind of got me back, sucked back into it is the is an impetus was this year's World Series of Poker. They're playing the main event right now as I'm recording this. They're on day five of it, and I actually have the coverage uh, on my monitor on my left side here as I'm talking to you. And w- I'm watching a little bit here. So I've, I've been watching it late some evening, so I kind of got sucked back into it. But the, but the other piece of the puzzle that's kind of interesting, it's been a long time. I told you that that 2006 Jamie Gold year was the absolute apex with 8,700 players. But this year, they had 8,663 players, so just shy, uh, you know, about 100 players shy of the all-time record. So quite a comeback for, uh, for, the, for the game, I would say. Uh, 2019 actually was pretty decent as far as 8,500 players and change. So I don't know, maybe they're starting to get back to the old, uh, you know, poker boom numbers for the main event, at least if nothing else. And there's a lot of uh, other side tournaments and a lot of opportunities for players to win uh, their various bracelets. So it's been interesting. I've been enjoying it. I've been having fun. I have my Poker Go subscription these days so I can watch it in streaming as opposed to the old days where you had to go to, I think, the Pirate Bay and a lot of other places to find. You know, I remember downloading seasons of high-stakes poker and watching them that way. Like I said, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Anyway, 
So as far as the set itself, uh, it's a simple set. Uh, like I said, I'll uh, I'll share a couple of uh, in the video version. You'll get a chance to see. Uh, I'll, I'll show a couple of cards here. Just to, some of these cards are actually some of the cards that I was able to pick up in that mail day as well. So I'll try to focus on a couple of those. So the one I'm going to show here is a Michael Gratz, who was a player who I believe won a World Series of Poker bracelet as well. There were a lot of the, the point is with this checklist, there were a lot of familiar names. So I started grabbing a couple of different ones because I remembered a, a variety of them. And uh, on the screen, I've got a lot of different ones. You got Todd Brunson, who is Doyle Brunson's son. You got uh, Men, Men the Master, Men Eugen. So Chip Jett, Kathy Liebert, Cindy Violet. A lot of these names I know, and some of them I know for, especially from World uh, Poker Tour, as well as World Series Poker. Kenny James, Hoyt Corkins. Uh, Hoyt Corkins, I remember being at least in a couple of final tables in the World Poker Tour. Like I said, as I go through the checklist, there's quite a bit. Sean Chacon, who infamously had a lot of you know verbal sparring battles with a lot of these players. Juan Carlos Mortensen, who was a World Series of Poker main event champion. Josh Aria, David Williams, who in addition to being uh, being successful, he was a runner-up in a World Series of Poker main event. Uh, I believe he has won at least one a bracelet as well. Uh, he was also a professional Magic the Gathering player, which is kind of a weird little uh, trivia thing. But I know this because I watched the coverage of the World Series of Poker back in the day, and they would do these profiles on some of the named players, and you would get a chance to see that. And you have TJ Cloutier, who was runner-up in the World Series of Poker a couple of different times. So a lot of these names, like I said, are familiar names to me. Eric Lundgren, Evelyn Ng, uh, Lane Flack, Jennifer Harmon. All these folks, which may mean nothing to you at all and completely understandable, these were names that I knew, especially around that time that they were around. And a lot of these folks are actually still around. So like Mike Matisau, Mike the Mouth Matisau, he was in the main event this year. He was in a variety of other tournaments as well. So a lot of these folks didn't go away. It's just that they uh, maybe maybe were, uh, you know, went to do other things, went to work on their own projects, businesses, a variety of different things. But they were still around. And it's one of those things, some of them, I got a chance to see, like I said, in some of this coverage. And it was, it was very nostalgic for me to get a chance to see these folks. Now, obviously, they're older now, <laughs> because even at the time that these, uh, these cards existed, you know, it's 2006. So it's 16 years ago. Uh, and 2006 was the year I graduated university. So time flies, I guess. Uh, it's just interesting kind of looking back at it. You know, when I graduated and, and you know, that year, uh, a couple of months after that, I turned 23. And now we're 16 years later. And here we go. And I, I'm actually recording this. Uh, yeah, already uh, past the midnight hour. So I'm actually recording this on my birthday. So there you go. So 16 years later, I'm, I'm 39 today. But uh, it's just interesting to see how the time passes. It's kind of interesting the way that works out. And here's Antonio Esfandiari here looking. Like I said, in the, in the video version, you'll see this. In the audio, you won't. It just uh, take a plain design, the player's picture on top, the, uh, the, the, set, this, the set label on the, in the middle, and then a sticker autograph at the bottom. Because uh, Razor Poker, I believe, is uh, owned by Brian Gray at the time. So he was doing a lot of these products. And he did, I think, Razor for a couple different years. I want to say he was still doing it in 2010, 2011. So there's a couple of these different series. These are not expensive on the whole, for the most part, to be honest with you. Uh, some names are a little bit more infamous. Uh, there is a Phil Helmuth card, as far as I'm aware, and that's a pretty pricey one comparatively. There's a Daniel Negreanu, who's been around doing a lot of tournaments this year as well. Uh, he actually had a vlog. He's been vlogging a lot of stuff during this World Series uh, season, and he's been having a lot of terrible luck, uh, not doing very well. But he's still around. So it's one of those things where a lot of these folks, even though it's been years since a lot of these, uh, these cards came out and these folks were in these autographs, that, but this is really um, a time capsule, truly, to the poker boom. Because realistically, why on earth would you have cards for poker players? Who would even want that? Well, me, these years later, having a nostalgic moment, enjoying uh, a World Series poker coverage for the first time in a couple of years. That, that's the answer to that question. Otherwise, really, nobody would want that. But that's just kind of, like I said, this is more of a story time, me having a little bit of fun with this, and kind of going back in time and thinking about when, uh, when these were a little bit more relevant. Now, 
Actually, one more little quirk about this 2006 Razor set, specifically. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of these different players who were kind of infamous at the time. They were kind of, uh, you know, all around the different events, cash games, tournaments, the whole nine yards, world poker tours, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now, one of the ones that's kind of interesting, there are a couple of celebrity slash poker players that got into this one. And one example that I would give you uh, is somebody like a Jennifer Tilly, the actress Jennifer Tilly, and also Cindy Margolis. So I don't know if any of you remember Cindy Margolis, but if you remember the 90s, especially the mid to late 90s, Cindy Margolis, I think at one point was the most downloaded person on the internet, which is kind of an, uh, which is kind of an interesting little quirk. She is in that autograph set. Which is kind of funny in, in its own way. So there you go. Kind of a little side thing, a little bit of a celebrity poker kind of angle in this as well. That's why I said this set is 38 cards in total. It is kind of interesting because it really is a time capsule to that time period. At that moment in time, these folks were kind of pardoned around the poker world. They were kind of hanging around there for different reasons. Either professional players or celebrities, you know, who participated in it, I guess, enough to be able to warrant having their own autograph uh, card in the set. So it's just kind of this weird mix, and it just made it very uh, interesting for me. So I think I picked up about eight, eight to ten of them right now. Uh, I got to see uh, if there's anything that is completed. But um, yeah, this is just kind of a fun set now that I kind of want to put together and see what happens with it. I'm not going to go crazy with it, but if I can put it together, it'd be kind of a fun thing to show off and showcase. And maybe I'll talk a little bit more about it later on at that time. Now, the last thing I wanted to kind of mention, kind of to close all this off, is, like I said, it was a, kind of a nostalgic thing for me to go back and really think about those time periods, and uh, specifically uh, when I was playing a lot more uh, online poker in that. And maybe that's something I could, I'd love to get back into, but just because, like I said, the, the nostalgia has been strong. But I did laugh because one of the things I was thinking about when I was kind of watching and also going back, looking through uh, the list of the winners just to remember uh, where things were at that time, and remember, uh, because I remember seeing a lot of these, remember watching them, and I'll give you a couple of quick stories. One of the ones that I remember specifically, and I'll see if I can share it on the video version here for you. Uh, I want to say it's here, so I'll find it. Yeah. So in the video version, what you're going to see is you're going to see a little screenshot here of cardplayer.com. And specifically, this is an old site, an old page on cardplayer.com. And you, you may not believe this. The poker boom was so hot at that point that this article that I'm going to include, uh, I'll actually include a link to it in the description of the uh, YouTube video and maybe the, uh, maybe the audio podcast for you in case you're interested. This page is still preserved uh, as kind of, again, a time capsule of that time period. The World Series of Poker was so hot that you could actually listen, and I'm not exaggerating, you could actually listen to the 2005 World Series Poker final table on cardplayer.com. And amongst the star-studded audio team, and I'm reading this off of it, you could listen to the audio stream with Phil Hellmuth, Daniel Negreanu, stop me if these names are sounding familiar with what I just talked about a, a couple of minutes ago, uh, Jennifer Harmon, Chris Ferguson, Jesus Ferguson, uh, Eric Lundgren, and Lane Flack. Some of these names, by the way, are in that autograph set that I was talking about just a few minutes ago. Isn't that funny how that works? Like I said, all these folks were all circling around that poker, you know, kind of poker universe. Uh, right around that time. 2005, though, imagine. 2005, like I said, there was enough demand and interest that people could tune in and listen to audio commentary on the final table at cardplayer.com at that time. And uh, I'm not saying I listened to some of that. I might have been in university at that time. Having it on in the background, I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying it might have been on. Just saying. <laughs> like I said, I'll include a link to this if you want to see this relic of an of an ancient era. Like, who would do that? Audio commentary at a final table of a poker tournament. Nonsense. Madness. 
But anyway, like I said, the poker boot came, it went. Uh, it was an interesting, fascinating era. And last little story I'll leave you with is kind of a more musical angle on it. Like I said, I was playing a lot of uh, online poker. And I'll see if I can uh, pull up a picture of this one for you. I'll use a little bit of a power of editing here, and uh, I'll actually try to show it to you. All right, so through the magic of editing here, I've shown you the uh, CD cover art for an album uh, from a band called 764 Hero. And the album is called Nobody Knows This Is Everywhere. Uh, now, Carlos, what the hell does this have to do with anything? I've never heard of this band. Well, good. You've never heard of this band, and uh, probably most people haven't either, uh, to be completely honest with you. I think this was their last album before I think they made a comeback many years later. Uh, this album was from, I believe, 2002, if memory serves me. I actually have a physical copy of the CD here for this album, and I've got it in front of me here while I'm talking to you. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because part of playing uh, a, lot of, a lot of those online tournaments so late into the evening... Uh, was that, honestly, you didn't have much to do other than just focusing in on the screen when you were kind of watching it, but you're not watching that the whole time. You kind of want to take a little breather in between and kind of sit back uh, because some of those tournaments would go on for a long time. Obviously, you, you, you wouldn't get great cards to participate in it all the time unless you were just super active for the sake of being super active. So as you're sitting there, you're, uh, you know, waiting for better hands to come by. A lot of players are playing more aggressively. You're trying to play a little bit smarter or vice versa, whatever you're doing. But in that little dull time in between where you're trying to kill, where you're trying to sit there and, uh, you know, stay awake, stay, you know, stay focused on what you're doing, but not stare at the screen the whole time. I like to play music in the background. A lot of times is just kind of a way to relax in between. And, uh, at the time, uh, I didn't have a Spotify account because that wasn't a thing, but, uh, I would have these different playlists. And one of the things that I would do is I would use uh, a little site called Pandora. I believe it's still around. Uh, it stopped being available in Canada years ago, but I believe in the U S it's still available. Uh, but basically all it was was that you would select all these different albums at the time and it would build up these customized playlists for you and you could be playing it in another window and just kind of be having it going. And based on my preferences, I would have a lot of rock music and stuff like that. And, you know, 764 Hero actually was one that came up. And I ended up listening to a ton of it and created a playlist out of it, including songs from this particular album. And the, the thing is, maybe I had about, you know, 50 or 100 songs uh, in the in the playlist that I created out of it. And the problem is because you're playing for so long uh, and a lot of those tournaments that had bigger fields as you were going through them is that you'd end up listening to the same songs over and over and over again as you looped. So uh, at a certain point, I ended up getting the CD just uh, just kind of a, as a nostalgic throwback to that era when I heard some of the songs on this album way too many times, more times than I can possibly count. And I did go back before I recorded this video to go back and listen to a couple of them. And as soon as I started hearing the first couple of opening notes, boom, immediately nostalgia time and also burned and possibly tattooed into the side of my brain permanently. The specific, um, I guess, standouts, if you want to call it that, uh, you, you can check, certainly check them out if you're interested. Uh, not particularly great. It's kind of a, just basic rock and uh, straightforward stuff. Uh, so the first, out, the first track was called Oceanbound. That one definitely got played a ton. Uh, Photographic Evidence is the second track. And the ninth track uh, of 10 tracks is Confetti Confessional, which is a six minute uh, kind of rock song. Uh, and like I said, not particularly good. You know, uh, have, listening to it again after the fact so many years later, it's like, it's not really the best, but it is nostalgic. I will say that. From my perspective, it is nostalgic kind of thinking back on that time. So there you go. You're able to go kind of full circle on this one. Poker cards led to thinking about the World Series of Poker, led to thinking about a lot of the thing, a lot of the uh, poker that I watched back in the day there in the mid, uh, early to mid 2000s, late 2000s. And then also kind of time playing a lot of online poker and specifically listening to the same songs over and over again until the point that they slowly drove me mad. It's arguable that I've never recovered. 
But the point is, at least now you know uh, one of the songs that slowly, slowly, uh, you know, buried its way into my brain and permanently ruined me. So that's kind of a fun little uh, side. But I will say, and if I was going to give like a like a button on this whole thing and make it like a side point of it, other than the fact that this was an unnecessary indulgence, but I thought I would have a little bit of fun with it. And like I said, I use the, the poker cards as an avenue to do that. The point is, these stupid poker cards, as silly as they are, uh, were an excellent gateway to kind of bring me back nostalgically to a different time and place. Not necessarily so long ago, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. It wasn't like 30 years ago, but I can still think back, you know, 16, 17, 18 years ago and think back nostalgically on that time and kind of the fun that I had playing the game. And I still enjoy playing the game when I get a chance to, even though I don't get a chance to nearly as much. But it was one of those things. Those cards were able to kind of bring back a piece of that for me because I knew who these people were at that time, even though I didn't know them. I knew their names. I knew their faces. I saw them play countless hours of poker over many, many years there. And it's one of those things that was just kind of an interesting little thing. And like I said, uh, kudos and I suppose, you know, thank you to the, uh, you know, to the Brian Grays of the world having a razor company where they, I guess they didn't have any other licenses or anything better to create cards out of that they were able to create cards out of something this silly that was able to uh, give me a little time to kind of take a trip down memory lane. So that was kind of a fun thing. Anyway, so that's it. Uh, story time with Carlos done. Uh, that is episode 22 of the Because of Carlos audio podcast. Uh, these are irregular. I basically make them when uh, the mood strikes me. Uh, so this one I think is going to have, like I said, more of a visual component to it uh, for the YouTube version of it. Uh, for the audio version of it, it's just going to be my description of these various things. So hopefully... Uh, that was suitable for you. Do uh, give a rating where you can as far as the audio version of it on the YouTube one. If you enjoyed it, uh, you also have the comment section. So let me know if you have any memories of kind of uh, poker, especially during the poker boom era. Uh, a lot of people seem to be playing poker back then. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that wasn't the case for you, but maybe you remember some of the stuff that I'm talking about or maybe some of the names that I mentioned to you and a little bit of the different tangents I was able to go down. So let me know if you have any memories of any kind of uh, that era or if any of that interested you. And one other thing I'll throw at you is... Is there anything outside of like the conventional sports realm? Because this certainly is not a sport, but anything out of the conventional sports realm that maybe evokes a memory, anything that maybe has a set, has set of cards or something. Like I said, in a time like this, when people are freaking out about the value of their collection, I'm sitting here talking about these stupid poker cards that for the most part are worthless. Like even on the screen, if you can see it, most of these cards are no more than a couple of dollars. And realistically, but the memories and the fun that I was able to have going through this little story with you, it's worth his weight in gold frankly, even it's just a couple of these silly little cards. And the one Chris Moneymaker one that I picked up with is like the amusement I got from it. That Moneymaker card was $10. I paid 10 bucks for a really fun memory uh, to, to be able to go back in time and think about that. And to me, that honestly was worth it. I enjoyed it. Anyway, as far as the YouTube channel goes, uh, there'll be more videos coming up on the YouTube channel. Uh, usually we'll talk, you know, more specifically about certain cards or sets or whatever else uh, topics happen to be coming up or any news in the hobby. Uh, live streams on the YouTube channel on Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern time right now going on for the summer. We'll see what happens in the, as we head into the fall. Otherwise, uh, leave a comment if there's anything that uh, strikes you as far as any of the topics that I hit on there. Otherwise, like if you like the video. Subscribe to the channel, and if it's the audio version, well, again, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.